welcome to the Movies Past and Present Podcast. It's January 12th, 2022, and this is episode 79. I'm your host, Stanford Clark, and I'm podcasting from the crossroads of the West in beautiful Salt Lake City, Utah. Just like my blog, moviespastandpresent.com, I'll be providing recommendations, commentary, and reviews about current and classic cinema. Thanks for tuning in, and let's do this thing. Happy New Year, everyone. This is my first uh, episode of 2022. Uh, New in theaters. First off, let's start with a film that opened up last Friday on January 7th. This film is called The 355. Um, It's a spy thriller from Universal Pictures. It's directed by Simon Kinberg. And uh, the description of it is a dream team of formidable female movie stars comes together uh, in a hard-driving original approach to the globe-trotting espionage genre in The 355. When a top-secret weapon falls into mercenary hands, wild-card CIA agent Mason Mace Brown, who is played by Jessica Chastain, will need to join forces with rival badass German agent Marie, who's played by Diane Kruger, uh, former MI6 ally and cutting-edge computer specialist Kadaji, who's played by Lupita Nyong'o, and skilled Colombian psychologist Graciela, who's played by Penelope Cruz, uh, on a lethal bright-night mission to retrieve it, while also staying one step ahead of a mysterious woman, Ling Mi Shang, who's played by Bingming Fan, um, who was tracking their every move, as the action rockets around the globe from the cafes of Paris to the markets of Morocco to the opulent auction houses of Shanghai, the quartet of women will forge a tenuous loyalty that could protect the world or get them killed. Uh, the film also stars Edgar Ramirez and Sebastian Stan. Uh, I've not had a chance to see this movie yet. It was on the schedule last year, and she, you know, shockingly got pulled. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, I, I'm interested in seeing it, and, and if I do, I will definitely... Uh, I definitely post review. Uh, the 355 is rated PG 13 by the Motion Picture Association for sequences of strong violence, brief strong language, and suggestive material. Now, opening this Friday, January 14th, is the reboot of Scream, the Scream horror franchise. This one is just again called Scream. Um, it's from Paramount Pictures. This is directed by Matt Benetti, Bettinelli, excuse me, Open, and Tyler Gillette. Um, 25 years after a streak of brutal murders shocked the quiet town of Woodsboro, a new killer has donned the ghost face mask and begins targeting a group of teenagers to resurrect secrets from the town's deadly past. Uh, back in this film are Nev Campbell, Courtney Cox, and David Arquette. Um, they return to their, you know, their quote-unquote iconic roles, uh, and then a whole bunch of other people are, have been added to, added to uh, the cast. Again, being this being a horror film, not interested. I haven't, I never saw any of those other Scream films that were that that were big hits. Wes Craven, who was the director of the original Scream, uh, and of course, kind of was the master of horror. He died in 2015, and so. 
clearly he was not uh, involved at all with this project. I guess they're trying to uh, reboot reboot this franchise, but and again, uh, I'm going to take a pass on it. Uh, Scream from 2022 is rated R by the Motion Picture Association for strong bloody violence, language throughout, and some sexual references. So, uh, two, the two big releases so far in January, the 355 and this reboot, remake, whatever you want to call it, of Scream. I picked my favorite 10 films from 2021. I had posted them on Instagram a few days ago, and uh, I'm just going to do a bit of a dissection of, of, of my list. It's a rather eclectic list. Uh, but again, it's, and again, subjective. These are, these are the 10 movies that I liked the most from last year. So I'm just gonna, I'll, I'll go in backwards order. Starting with 10 is The French Dispatch. This is... Uh, a movie directed by Wes Anderson and in, in his very quirky <laughs> and signature style, I just mostly just sat back and had a blast with this, with this movie. Um, I was an English major in college and the English major in me was very happy with just given how, how the, the literary focus and, and just how charming it was. And it was all about, you know, writing and 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 and, uh, and creative creative endeavors told in a very artistic and, and and creative way. Again, this film's probably not everybody. It it it, it earns its R rating, but I I just I love the cast. I I love the look of it, and again, I uh, the English major in me was was very happy now for something completely different at number nine i have godzilla versus kong um some of these films you probably think i've lost my mind but uh I, again i just have a soft spot this is uh it's not the english major in me i just love uh godzilla movies i'm just not sure what, what it is about it maybe just watching some of the campy ones on TV when I was a kid just got me hooked, but I thought this one really captured both Godzilla and Kong in, in really, in really appealing ways. I mean, it's, you know, not brilliant in any, in any way, shape or form. However, one of the complaints I've had about some of these previous Godzilla movies in particular that were, so folk, you know, they were created all with CGI. I mean, honestly, I prefer the classic Godzilla from the, you know, fifties um, and sixties from Japan, you know, made in Japan where Godzilla is literally a dude walking around in a plastic suit, but, um, you know, and, and, and stomping on uh, miniature sets, <laughs> but uh, for a, for a CGI Godzilla and a CGI Kong, great fight choreography, or animation, or you know, or whatever, whatever you want to call it, just and just supremely entertaining, and some pretty cool sci-fi elements to this too. So Godzilla versus Kong was a, was a big win winner for me. Number eight in the Heights, 
this uh, is a musical, an adaptation of the Broadway play In the Heights, which was written by uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda. Uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda was also involved, of course, in the creation of this film version. Uh, he even has he even has a little small part in it. But uh, for me, th- this was directed by John M. Chu, and it just, I just felt like this film really, I, I felt like the John M. Chu and the filmmakers and probably Lin-Manuel Miranda, the people involved, really understood uh, classic Hollywood musicals. And this last year, over you know, 2021, that was one of my film-watching projects was, was, was watching 50, uh, 50 musicals and, and uh, kind of doing a, you know, a, a dissection of, of what makes them great. And that's, and I just thought In the Heights had really, a, you know, aced it. Um, lots of location shooting, which was, which was, which was a plus because I saw, I think I always enjoy movies filmed in New York. Uh, or you know, seeing these you know movies that that are that are filmed in New York, and just some scenes in this movie were so well crafted. Uh, you know, particularly you know the the musical scenes. There's one scene where uh, the the two uh, the, you know romantic uh, man and a woman they're dancing on the side of an apartment building, and it's just magical. You know, of course you you're suspending disbelief, but the way it was created again is just was very reminiscent of a classic Hollywood, uh, specifically uh, Fred Astaire and Royal Wedding, where he's dancing on the ceiling. Um, you know, not to be confused with the Lionel Richie <laughs> music video <laughs> and song. But anyway, loved in the Heights. Uh, number seven, which for me is probably the one I'm not embarrassed about it, but I kind of can't believe I put it on the list. It's Cruella, which is from. Uh, you know, Walt Disney Pictures, and it's a, it's a retelling about, it's like a backstory of, of, of the classic villain, Cruella de Vil, from, from the Disney animated uh, movie 101 Dalmatians, and, you know, I, I feel like these, these remakes that Disney is intent on doing are so creatively bereft, and they, you know, they typically spend a lot of money and bring in really great talent. But I just think if I want to, like with this one, like if I wanted to watch 101 Dalmatians, I'd watch 101 Dalmatians rather than seeing Cruella. However, this one was so uh, delightful in that uh, I think, number one, the casting was brilliant. Emma Stone is perfect as a young Cruella DeVille. And then her nemesis in the film who's played by Emma Thompson uh, was just, you know, it just gave a very delicious performance. And so you got these two great actresses kind of, you know, fighting it out um, in this very stylish and very interesting film. They, uh, what I liked about it again, I don't necessarily like making a villain, you know, creating this backstory that the villain's like, Oh, just understood. And, it's just it's kind of a sad, pathetic person that's just trying to, you know, make their way in the world. Sometimes I guess those will work, and sometimes for me they were just mostly just frustrating. This one I thought really uh, brought some interesting stuff to the table, and also I really liked how they integrated 
for example, like the characters of Horace and Jasper, who are the bumbling, Corella's kind of bumbling idiot assistants in, in the uh, animated 101 Dalmatians. But I, I just, and then also we, we, uh, we get to meet Roger and Anita who, who, you know, play, play a big role in, 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 in 101 Dalmatians. And anyway, Cruella is, uh, and I love where, you know, it's set in, in London and, and, uh, in this, like the 1970s, early, early, early seventies. So it's got just this really cool aesthetic vibe to it and great soundtrack and just provide really a surprising, very entertaining, entertaining film. So uh, we'll see if any one of these Disney remakes ever makes it in my top 10 list again. But but uh, Corella is one I thought was great. And again, would really highly recommend. Number six is Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. This was, uh, you know, this is a film from Marvel Studios. Just supremely entertaining uh i love martial arts films and this one i thought was a great combination of really impressive fight choreography and you know and 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 cinematography and editing the the fight scenes are just tremendous but the uh the characters are so good too you know simu lu is so great in the title role Aquafina is awesome. Uh, Tony Leung and Michelle Yeoh. I love I love the cast, and and just thought it was really a well a well crafted movie. And sure, it's you know it's a Marvel movie and a comic book movie, but but I I thought it was a it was a real winner and one again one of my favorites of the year. Uh, okay, now for for the top five, um, number five I've got Encanto which is from Walt Disney Animation Studios and a wonderful animated musical. And I think, you know, Disney at its best, but in a really surprising way, uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't quite know what way the story was going to go as, as, as you've probably seen, or hopefully you've seen the preview, hopefully you've seen the movie, but it's about this uh, family. They're in uh, the country of Columbia and they live in this magic house, and the family also has uh, each of them get their own little special magical gift, and uh, you know to 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 bless the community and 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 to help each other out. And uh, this movie with songs by Lin Manuel Miranda, Lin Manuel Miranda's back again. Uh, I thought you know again looking at the. You know, the trailers and whatnot. And I was expecting that this main female character, her name is Mirabelle. She's the one with the with the glasses, kind of the, the green glasses. Um, you know, I was expecting her to kind of have to go on this classic journey to save the family or whatever. And she, you know, does save the family. You know, spoiler <laughs> spoiler alert. <laughs> but it's done in such a in such a surprising way. I think it's this, it's a very interesting treatise about. Uh, family relationships and for me very unexpected so very very uh fresh and original and i just can't recommend encanto enough if you haven't seen it or encanto uh, i'll try to say it say it correctly 
Um, speaking of animation, number four, I've got Luca. Luca is from Pixar. And this was just this breezy, you know, f- movie that just was a breath of fresh air. It's set in Italy. And so really it's just like taking a summer vacation to Italy. It's got, it's one of these films that's got a classic kind of Pixar, uh, you know, story in, in that it's about a little boy who's a sea monster. And these sea monsters that are off the coast of Italy, <laughs> at least when they go on land, they take human form. And so this, this, uh, this, this Luca are, are, are the protagonist and also the title character of the film, um, Goes on land, meets another boy who's kind of more of an orphan, uh, but also who's a sea monster, but but is is choosing to live more in human form. They they uh, they go have this adventure and meet and, and meet more friends, and it's just it's it's just like an you know it's this animated trip to Italy, and uh, you know they're eating pasta and gelato and <laughs> this beautiful coastal town. So it's just got the you know the stunning anim- animation that that Pixar is known for, uh, charming storytelling, and really just just an absolutely delightful film. So I've got Luca at number four. Number three is Dune, and I hope you had a chance to see Dune on the big screen. And it, I'm wondering if it wins more Academy Awards or something. Uh, maybe they'll 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 re-release it. Seeing Dune in IMAX was. Um, probably one of my favorite uh, movie experiences of the year. Uh, it's just it's just a cinematic experience, uh, and also just a story really well told. Um, you might you know, be familiar with with the book, which is a beloved science fiction book, and it's rather large. Uh, you know, large reading again. Not that that's a problem. It's just. You know, it's a it's a big and it's a long story. So this movie, they've split it into two. We learned shortly after the release of Dune, and also when you when they roll when they you know when the movie starts, the title card says like Dune Book One. So you get an idea that this is not they're not trying to cram the whole story into um, one movie. I. Not necessarily just you know wanting to compare again, and I've talked about this in a previous podcast, but the the uh, 1984 movie version of Dune, uh, which is really I know it's a, it's it's a bit of a cult classic now. I, I I think it's a terrible film, but I think part of the problem of that film is they were trying to cram the whole story into you know a kind of a two two and a half hour movie. So uh, this one thankfully is is split up, but it's. It's so well crafted, so well made. I was really swept swept away by it. I loved it. So, uh, so there's Dune, and then number two, I've got the documentary uh, called the called Summer of Soul, and this is uh, just one of the best documentaries I've seen in a, in a long time. Uh, in the in the 1960s, there was a music festival in Harlem. New York and uh you know or in New York and it uh had this incredible lineup you know Stevie Wonder Gladys Knight of the Pips 
Sly and the Family Stone, The Fifth Dimension, uh, including many others, were there. And uh, it all got filmed, but no one ever wanted to put it on TV or or, or anything. And it really got overshadowed by Woodstock, uh, you know, the Woodstock Festival, which we which we all know about. So, so um, this documentary shows much of this, you know, footage or highlights from from this festival, and then also talks to people who were there and some of the performers that were still alive. They were there, like you know Gladys Knight and uh, Marilyn McCoo and others. So I, uh, I was just absolutely smitten by the by this movie, just because uh, the music was so good, and then it also is just such an interesting look into that uh, time period, and and uh, both for you know the experience of our black brothers and sisters, but but. Uh, uh, and then just you know just U.S. history. So really, God, can't, you just can't can't uh, say enough good things about Summer of Soul. I hope that you'll get a chance to see it. I believe it's playing on Hulu or streaming on Hulu. So um, so definitely check it out. And then for me, number one, my favorite film of 2021 was Steven Spielberg's West Side Story. Uh, as I've discussed in the previous podcast. I, uh, when I first heard about this project, it's just, oh, you've got to be kidding me. You know, like, I need a remake of West Side Story. Like, I need a hole in the head. Because I, I just love the original uh, film version from 1961 so much. This m- movie was so incredibly crafted. Uh, everything was just, it's just, it's, it's, just, it's, it's a perfect movie. Uh, the... Uh, I mean, of course, with the same tragic ending, which, you know, is so sad. Um, but from from the music to the to the performances to to the uh, choreography and everything, it's 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 absolutely fantastic. I, I like to call it a revival. It's because, uh, you know, Spielberg did not set out to remake the, the film. The, you know the Robert Wise and Jerome Robbins film from '61. He was really focused on uh, his love of of the original Broadway play, and and uh, it's just it, it's it's a wonderful retelling. Screenwriter Tony Kushner made some uh, some minor modifications to the script, which I think really help it tremendously, and. Again, not that the other needed help, but uh, it's it's uh, it's just so it's so fantastic, so well crafted, and 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 for me, it's it's this is the music, the glorious music from Leonard Bernstein. Just being able to hear that over this, you know, this in the sound system in the movie theater. Uh, again, and I was able to see it both in 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 a regular screen and an IMAX, and I love them both, but just. Just uh, particularly the IMAX when it's turned up loud, <laughs> that that uh, was just so sublime uh, to hear that glorious music, and also that they had cast really good actors that could sing, and uh, that was that was just that was just such a joy. So, so yeah, the film I loved the most in in twenty twenty one was Steven Spielberg's West Side Story. 
that does it for this episode of the Movies Past and Present Podcast. Again, links and more information about the movies discussed in today's podcast can be found in the podcast notes on my blog at moviespastandpresent.com. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. Links are also on the blog. And please follow me on Instagram. My handle is at moviespap, as in past and present. As always, I hope you will enjoy some good movies this week, whether they be from the past or the present. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time, be safe out there and dedicate yourself to the truth. Bye. <laughs>